The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, how you doing? Thanks for coming back to the show. Uh, If you haven't already listened to it, last week was a special episode about the case of Dr. Evil. That was a two-hour episode that really kind of went deep on an important issue, not just for the UK, but but for the overall uh, body art industry. And it was a special episode that I made for the UK APP conference, and sad to say, due to a family emergency, I couldn't attend the UK APP conference, and I was really just gutted. You know, I didn't get to see my friends, I didn't get to teach the classes I had been preparing for a month, but um, fortunately... A U.S. piercer named William Barron was over there uh, his first time at UKEPP, and he, he really stepped up, and uh, he ended up taking on my classes. So he did the Doth class, he did Thunderdome, and uh, from what I hear, he did a really excellent job. So thank you so much, Barron. I, I really do want to say I, I appreciate you being there to uh, pick up the slack for me. Uh, if those classes had to have gotten canceled, I, I just would have been you know even more uh, kind of beat up inside. So... Uh, everything is relatively fine back home with my family emergency, so I'm just kind of back to work. Uh, hopefully I can get out to UK EPP next year if I get the invite and uh, try to make it up to everybody. And again, I'm very sorry that I couldn't make it this year, but uh, you know, sometimes family comes first. So as far as my interview this week, it's an interview that I recorded back at the BMXNet conference in Germany with Elaine Angel. Uh, Elaine has been on the show before. You can go back all the way to episode 15, way back when I first kind of started the show. Elaine was one of the first people that I really wanted to interview at, uh, at the APP conference. Uh, we talked a good amount about her book, The, the Piercing Bible. Uh, if you haven't already read it, that's definitely one that you want to put on your homework list as a body piercer. You can uh, find tons of information in that book. And you can also find a lot of information on Elaine's website, piercingbible.com. Uh, it's got a lot of different pages dedicated to specific piercings. So, you know, if you want to get more information on things like VCH piercings, uh, vertical clitoral hood piercings, you want to get more information on triangle piercings or nipple piercings, all these different things, Elaine has all these really great information pages on her website, uh, broken down piercing to piercing. So a really good resource for information. And Elaine is one of the piercers who really doesn't try to hold back information and say, this is my information and no one else can have it. Uh, Elaine is one of those piercers who has really inspired me and a lot of other piercers to share all their information. Uh, you know, we, we kind of look at it as a, a gift, as a privilege to, to have this as a career. And uh, we, we want to share that gift and we want to try to bring people in to experience that privilege. We don't want to hold it all to ourselves. So uh, Elaine is one of those great body piercers who has really inspired uh, a lot of other professionals in this industry. And I think we can all kind of uh, take a few pages from her book, uh, pun intended, and, uh, you know, maybe kind of share the information that, that we also have. So through the interview, we, we talk about a couple different things. 
Elaine has a, a referral system on her website to send clientele to different piercers uh, closer to them. I'm fortunate enough to be on that referral list, and you know, there's a little bit of a process to it. It's not one of those blind things of, uh, you know, are you a piercer? Do I know your name? Do I know what city you're in? It's one of those things where it's like, well, you got to show me that you know how to do this piercing if I'm going to refer a client to you for it. So uh, I, I definitely appreciate the whole uh, trust but verify mentality. We also have a point in the conversation where we talk about gendered terminology. Elaine is really a, a specialty body piercer at this point in her career, really just focusing on nipple piercings and genital piercings. And in a world where you have non-binary individuals, how do you really talk? You know, what kind of terminology do you use to talk about uh, genital piercings? So uh, Elaine has a really good approach to it where uh, you can still use uh, scientifically binary terminology, uh, but in a way that is appropriate, uh, informative, and sensitive, especially to non-binary clientele. So as our industry moves forward, I think we all need to kind of pay attention to not just the work we're performing, but also the, the words we use to uh, relay information to other piercers and, and to our clientele. So that, that's a good part of the conversation. And we also talk about cheek piercings. Um, if any of you have already read Elaine's book, you might know her negative experience with cheek piercings. Uh, myself as a body piercer, I have had pretty much nothing but negative experiences with the cheek piercings I had performed. I, I no longer perform cheek piercings. Uh, and we, we kind of talk about why. So it's a really good conversation. Uh, Elaine is definitely one of the piercers that you want to pay attention to as far as the information they're putting out there. Uh, read the book, check out the website, attend the classes. Elaine is one of the regulars at the APP conference and a lot of other conferences too. As I said, we recorded this interview at the BMXNet conference. So we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, for me, for my private classes, I'm kind of winding it down for the year. I only have two classes left essentially. I've got the class in Fort Myers, Florida. That one is fully booked. Registration is closed for that one. I'll be doing that in, in just a few weeks. Uh, and I do have one more class available in Atlanta, Georgia, and that's going to be the full day understanding and applying freehand piercing techniques class. That's going to be uh, two different days. I'm, I'm going to, on, on purpose, kind of keep the groups a little bit smaller so we can have a little bit more of a one-on-one -on -one experience, have more of a workshop environment where you're going to be actually doing things in your own hands. We're going to be piercing some stuff, not humans. We're going to be piercing some inanimate objects, but you can really kind of get the sense of a lot of these different freehand techniques of bevel theory, of wound shaping, a lot of different things there. We're going to be going over needle crushing and uh, a couple different topics, but uh, that's going to be my final class for 2019. Uh, I'll start announcing my 2020 classes probably a little bit towards the end of the year. Um, but for now, uh, if you do want to attend that Atlanta class, you can go to precisionbodyarts.com slash seminars. You can follow Body Art Education by Ryan Willett on Facebook. I've got some event pages for the Atlanta classes. Or you can always just reach out to me, you know, message me on Facebook or email me at ryanpba at gmail.com and we can get you registered. As it stands right now, those classes are about half full. Uh, so you do want to kind of jump on that again, November 18th and 19th in Atlanta, Georgia. But for now, uh, let's bring it back to Essen, Germany, to the BMXNet conference and a conversation I had with Elaine Angel. Okay, so uh, we are at the BMXNet conference in Germany. And uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. I am Elaine Angel, and uh, I'm happy to be here talking with you. Thanks for having me. You were one of the, the first people that I interviewed on the show uh, when I started, and uh, a lot of people always just say, uh, I don't know really how to, 
how to phrase this the right way. Every single time I talk to another body piercer anywhere in the world uh, about anything, if I'm at a conference or if it's someone talking about taking classes or if it's people applying for a scholarship, almost every single person will mention your name as like an inspiration to them uh, with their, their career. So uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and talking to me. Wow, and I really appreciate you sharing that with me because I don't know what they're saying um, yeah. when they're not saying it to me. So that's lovely to hear. And uh, of course, I'm happy to be on the show with you. We have a, a little uh, question that we always ask people when they apply for the LD scholarship of who would you like to meet uh, given the opportunity to meet anyone at conference? And it's, it's either like you or Jim, like every single time. It's, <laughs> it's right there, you know. Oh, that's cool. And yeah. I'm happy to meet them all. And I like to hug them all. I love to hug all the new people and all the old people and all of us. So, yeah, absolutely. If you're one of those people who shows up for the first time, please don't hesitate to say hello. I hate it when I have people contact me uh, on social media and say, well, I saw you, but I was too shy to come up. And it's like, oh, man, um, please. I, I totally get it. Um, but I'm just a person and I'm happy to meet everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I think that's one of the the best characteristics uh, that I see with, with you and, and people who have been piercing for a long time, because it might be really easy to go the route of just like, hey, I don't have time, I don't want to be bothered or something, but to show that you still love it after after so long in the industry uh, I do. special. I hope that I can love body piercing as much. I hope everyone can, and I hope everyone who keeps loving it will appreciate what that means because so many people do not love what they do for mm -hmm. a living. Uh, so many people don't even have a hobby that they enjoy as much as I enjoy what I do for a living and have been doing for such a long time. It is over 30 years. It's yeah. a long time. Um, and how lucky am I that I get up in the morning excited to do my job and feeling enthused and um, motivated and um, interested. Like that is such a gift. So yeah. if you're into it and you keep staying into it, uh, do appreciate that. It's a thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, sometimes I, you know, I, I get into a funk or at work or I get frustrated or something, you know, work grinds me down every now and then just like anybody. And I have to really kind of slap myself in the face and realize like I could be working a retail job in a mall or in an office somewhere doing something that I hate and I get to do what I do every day. And I, I don't know how I could not have a positive mental attitude when I, when I think about it in those terms. It is a, a gift. And another thing that I think a lot of us fail to uh, take into consideration or be grateful for that I totally notice is that I am really grateful that I have been able to live my life as myself. If we think of our clients who often will come in and say, oh, I'd love to have a septum piercing or lip piercings or whatever, but I can't wear jewelry in my face at work or, you know, I have to cover my tattoos at work. I'm, there's definitely a lot more tolerance for body art than there used to be, but there's still restrictions. Sure. And a lot of people do not get to live as their true selves or have all the body adornment um, that they want. So I think we're really lucky to be able to be ourselves and wear our body art proudly and uh, without issue because it's not a given. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of piercers that might listen to the show, they have maybe not the exact life, but they have a similar life. You know, they, they go into the shop, you know, maybe they do appointments, they do walk-ins, they do whatever. Um, but they're kind of in that, that one central hub. But you have kind of a unique business model and a unique career. So why don't you kind of explain it a little bit? Because, you know, I've, I've seen it from afar uh, and it just seems really interesting, but it also seems really satisfying. So kind of talk about how you got into that. Sure. Uh, well, for one, it's amazing. I think I have the very best job ever. I almost don't even know how it happened. 
Um, and it was organic. It wasn't something I planned out. So I live in Mexico, even though I'm an American. I've been living there for 13 years. And when I bought my house there, it was really just on this urgent sensation that I should move out of New Orleans and go south, but not on a border or an island. And I bought this place, and I didn't really know what I was going to do there, if I was going to keep my shop open or what have you. Well, a month, less than a month after I bought my house was when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. And the decision was made for me when all of my employees were flooded out and the city was so devastated that I closed my shop. And so my original plan was to have a B&B&P, a bed and breakfast and piercing. <laughs> and I renovated a room and built a sterilization room and was set up to do it. And I had one client and she was fine and it was fine and she left and I was like, okay, I'm done with that. It was mm. just way more hospitality industry than sure, I was up for. Sure, yeah. um, so then I had the idea to guest pierce at um, some friend's studios because I had been guest piercing uh, throughout the time I had my studio in New Orleans anyway. And so it took a little while to develop the process and then there was this kind of organic thing that further happened where Almost all of my clients were requesting nipple or genital piercings, and one day I realized I couldn't remember how to do a doth. Like I, and, and then I just thought, you know, I'm more comfortable with the triangles and the uh, apodrabias, and I'm just going to stick with um, doing what I was originally doing, because that was the original clientele at Gauntlet mm -hmm. and the uh, primary piercings we were doing. So it's just kind of come full circle, and I do now specialize exclusively in nipples and genitals and have been for, I'm not sure how many years, maybe eight years. Um, and I really have a great clientele. They tend to be um, a little older, mature people, and many of them have no other body art, no tattoos, no other piercings, and they are looking for sexual enhancement. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my core group. And, um, and they're really fun to work with. They're terrific. So what happens is uh, I'll see where I'm in the mood to go and what friends I'm in the mood to visit, mm -hmm. and I'll set up some dates with them, and I post them on my website. And I do post a number of months in advance. And over that time, people will contact me for appointments. And because of the nature of what I do, I uh, require an, uh, anatomical consultations. Sure. So I can make sure that they're pierceable for what they want pierced and that you know I'm traveling, a lot of them are traveling, and we don't want to show up and find they can't get pierced. So I have them send me photos of themselves, and I have kind of worked out the, the kind of images I need to see to tell whether mm -hmm. they're suited. And so I do a lot of correspondence when I'm home. It's really a full-time job uh, doing anatomy consults. And also I do piercing problem consults. So uh, you would perhaps be surprised or not, I'm not sure, about how many people are getting bad piercings and the piercers are unable or unwilling to help them. Or oh, they I'm realize, not surprised by that at yeah, all. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, that they uh, really don't feel like they have any option for where to get help locally. So they look online and they find me and they send me photos and I do troubleshooting. So. I get to see what's going on out there. and mm -hmm. ooh. Finger on the pulse. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of bad piercings still going on. I'm yeah. so sad to say. Yeah. It, I think sometimes when piercers are in that APP bubble, not just APP members, but the ones that come to conference and the ones that keep up on the social media and all that stuff, um, they, they maybe don't see that all of those piercers together are still a small percentage oh, yeah. of the overall piercing industry, that it's a lot of... Tattooers just doing it in between clients. It's a lot of clothing and accessory stores just doing it in a back little kiosk, uh, places on the beach, all, all those different things. Like I would say that 
is you know 10 to 1 the majority right. of, of who's performing body piercings in, in the US and in the world right it's true and unfortunately the truth is um, though APP members are the cream of the crop caring enough to come up to standards to use quality jewelry to agree to the hygiene procedures and all of that um, that's required that even still um, the organization doesn't monitor what I call the artistic merit of the piercer sure. and there is no guarantee that the piercer is going to know the optimal spot for a piece of jewelry on you or the best size for your mm. anatomy or um, really uh, the technical aspects of the piercings themselves. We have not uh, monitored that up to this point. So when I give a recommendation for a piercer that's not someone I've worked with specifically or whose work I've seen or uh, feel comfortable with, I will say, um, you know, I highly suggest you check out an APP member, but be aware that you need to take a look at their work for yourself sure. and evaluate whether it looks like what you want to wear. Yeah, I, I remember, uh, you know, you have this great website as a resource for body piercing, and you have kind of a piercer referral area on there. And I, I, it could have been really easy in one sense to just say like, okay, I'll just add every piercer that I know or every APP member or whatever, and it's no problem. Um, but you're one of the only people that really kind of ver like trust but verify sort of a thing with, with referrals, you know? And I remember uh, I sent you an email saying, hey, I would love to be on that referral list. And, and you were like, um, show me some pictures. Show me that you can actually do this stuff. And it could have been, you know, so much easier for you to just kind of brush it off and be like, yeah, sure, I'll add you. But like, I completely respect and appreciate the fact that you wanted to make sure that I was like, you know, safe enough to refer a client to so i definitely appreciate that well thank you i uh glad that it i'm glad that it didn't piss you off no or, not uh, at all yeah. insult you because no insult is intended but if i'm going to refer for uh uh to a piercer i want to know that the person is getting uh, something substantially similar to what i do mm. um because i'm comfortable with where i place the piercings and if somebody's getting a triangle i you know want to know that it's not accidentally piercing their clitoris mm. or something because uh, i have seen that so mm. so yeah i i do um want to make sure that anybody i refer to is doing a good job and uh i given how many piercers there are in the world i refer to relatively few yeah yeah because i want a high level of confidence and i don't want to have to uh, troubleshoot the piercings from piercers I'm referring to. That, mm -hmm. yeah. Do you see any sort of trends for like uh, like cold spots for piercing, like like regions around the world, maybe outside of the U.S. where people are getting into body piercing, but they're just they're hungry for resources, you know, things like you know. Do you see certain countries or areas where it's it's starting to explode, but they don't really know where to start? I think there's probably a lot of places like that. I actually pierce only in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I do teach in other countries. Here we are in another one of them. Um, but uh, I, I don't know that there's any particular areas, I would say. But in general, e even in places that have had piercers for a long time um, and have some experienced piercers, that there's still uh, a lack of knowledge and information in mm. a lot of places and uh, a hunger for it. So I think that's pretty universal still. Yeah, yeah I see a lot of the information, you know, if, if information starts uh, North America or in UK or Europe or something like that, it slowly trickles out to the rest of the world. So I've been having a, a, a good amount of people kind of pop up on my radar for like Asia, Southeast mm. Asia, oh, uh, wow. India, places like that, you know, so I, I think five to 10 years from now, it wouldn't be uncommon to think that there's like maybe a there's a Chinese conference and then there's, or there's like an India conference and I, I'd really look forward to seeing something like that. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah I have gotten some uh, 
uh, some emails from India uh, lately. Uh, mm. Now that you mention that, yeah, interesting. Well, that it's something to look forward to. So, what do you think is your your most common request with a piercing? Is it like you know, for for me with my walk in genital piercings, you know, PA or VCH is is going to be my bread and butter basically. So, what do you, what is like the most common people stuff people are asking for? The most common piercings I get asked for are VCH and triangle. Mm-hmm. And because uh, so many more are anatomically suited to the VCH than to the triangle, I don't do as many of mm-hmm. the triangles as I get requests for. Um, and that's definitely one of the things I, I have to check because it's very anatomically dependent. Mm. So um, I get lots of requests for those. I would say about 80% or more of my clientele has a vulva. Mm-hmm. And um, on the others, um, for penis piercings, I pretty commonly get requests for apodrabias. Mm-hmm. That's pretty common. I do quite a few pubic piercings. And yeah, the whole gamut, uh, Prince Alberts and Geishas and Frenums and, and Amplangs, uh, really all of them. I, all the options. Um, less commonly, labia piercings are not as popular as the ones that are apt to add sensation. Right, more sexual functionality. Yeah, is that is my, my core group is people looking for some, some extra sensation. Mm. Uh, fair number of requests for forchettes um, and lately more for Princess Albertina's, which mm. I've been doing. Wow. So w- with something like that, is there any sort of like prerequisite requirement? Like, do you want them to be interested in sounding or anything like that? Right, so I have them send me a photo of their vulva very spread so I can try to visualize their urethra. Mm-hmm. Um, some are easier to spot than others and so I wanna try to get a look at the anatomy and I do ask them if they have experience in urethral play or stimulation and let them know that if that's something they don't have experience with that they might not find the piercing pleasurable initially, that mm. it may take some getting used to. So it tends to be Mostly that folks who have some experience and interest in that, those are the ones that, that are asking for it for yeah. the most part. Yeah, I don't imagine that would pop up on like a BuzzFeed article. Like, mm-hmm. hey, get your Princess Albertina pierced. Yeah. 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 Uh, so if you had any like tips that you could tell people, because I'm sure there are lots and lots of piercers who get email requests all the time for the piercings that maybe their closest piercer isn't capable of. Triangles would be a, a perfect example. Um, what kind of advice would you give the people who really don't have experience with it, but they still want to be able to have the conversations with their clients and you know be able to service them properly, whether it's through a referral or just giving them more information so that they don't just try to get it done at the shop down the street? What kind of information would you want to share with people? Right. So actually, you mentioned my website before, and if you wouldn't mind, uh, this will be an answer to your question. Sure. But if you go to piercingbible.com, each of the primary piercings that we've mentioned and more has its own page. And the triangle piercing page, I do believe, gives a pretty good overview of the type of anatomy that's required, a build with a hill to the hood that stands up tall, Mm. relative symmetry, blah, blah. So all of that information is specified on the page, what a build looks like for a triangle, where the piercing is supposed to be placed, uh, what the jewelry fit should look like. So I think that that's actually a really good place for any consumer or piercer who's not specifically trained or experienced with those to look. 
not necessarily as a source to say, I saw that page and now I can do one, mm. but to say, okay, I have an idea that this person who has a really tiny hood is not going to be built for a triangle. Sure. So I'm going to tell them that they probably should not pursue that. Or that if they want to, I can't help myself, shameless self-promotion, but I do anatomy consults for anyone. Mm -hmm. So if, uh, if you have a client and they're interested in a piercing, but you're not sure or whether to refer them, um, they can come to me. My website has pages where I show the photos that I need to have them replicate that I, in order to evaluate them. And so, you know, if you need additional help, I am available for that. Uh, on a professional basis. Um, and the other thing I would suggest is if you have any colleagues that are trust, trusted colleagues that you respect and they're doing the piercings, you know, connect with them, whether you can go to their studio and watch what they're doing. Um, even if they're not local, if it's, you know, it could be worth a trip to get some in-person training or exposure, watch them do their thing. Um, but, uh, and also of course, attending classes, but you know, an in-person hands-on kind of thing with somebody who knows what they're doing is really a great way to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had to kind of struggle a little bit, especially for a triangle piercing. Uh, you know, I had taken classes, I'd taken your classes more than once and uh, I, I think I mentally digested as much as I could where I, I knew what I needed to look for and I just didn't have the right situation for it. But then just luckily, you know, I had a, a close friend of mine who was in a relationship with another close friend of mine and they said, you know, hey, we're interested in something. And I was like, well, let's do an evaluation. It was like ideal anatomy. And I was like, look, I haven't done this before, but I've done similar things. And then I got to do that. And it really... It really helped my confidence, but I would never feel confident enough to just do that on a walk-in client or someone that emailed me and be like, hey, I, I'm interested in this piercing. I would always have to tell people, I don't I don't have any personal experience with it. I'd feel more comfortable referring you to someone who's done several. You know? Right. Uh, but now, you know, I'm, I'm a bit more comfortable with it. That's one of those piercings where I don't know that I would ever get to a point where I'd be like, just as comfortable as anything else. Um, but you know, I've done a few and I feel, I feel much better uh, about having those conversations and being able to properly service clientele. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Way to go. Yeah. yeah. I literally am more comfortable doing a triangle piercing than an ear piercing. Wow. It's what I do. Um, super, super comfortable yeah. and you know, absolutely no, this build, yes, this build, no. Mm. Um, and for somebody who is newer at it, you really want to stick to those ideal builds, like sure. no question, yeah. uh, about it. Uh, super important because there's tricky anatomy that's pierceable, but it's sure. definitely more advanced. Also, you want to be able to um, properly evaluate anatomy instead of just saying like, well, no, uh, try to, you know, uh, no for this, but I think you have a great build for this. You know? Absolutely. Alternative piercing. I, I think a lot of my, my clientele that comes in, uh, for vulva piercings especially, they've, they've already most of the time gone to your website. And a lot of times, because I have a section on my forum, you know, how did you hear about us and, you know, piercing Bible and all that. And it's great having people come in with some sort of level of education first because it's so much easier to have a conversation. And uh, especially when I get to the point in my procedure where I'm, I do the Q-tip test, you know, and you've kind of instilled that on an entire generation of clienteles and, and uh, clientele and piercers where it's just, it's so much easier because I think that if people had never heard that before and I was like, hey, I'm going to stick a Q-tip under your hood, people might be a little bit weirded out by that, but they're just like, oh yeah, totally, because you're going to check the depth, right? And I was like, yep, yeah, exactly. And it's it makes it so much easier to have those interactions with people. It is. It is lovely to work on educated clients, and that is part of why I enjoy my work so much, is that they all have 
they're, they're all researchers. They're all people who were looking online for information and made the effort to come to me. Right. And um, read the website, have the information, and it is absolutely easier to work on educated clientele for mm. sure. Mm. Yeah. So uh, uh, something else I wanted to talk about is uh, we're here at an educational conference and you've taught a couple different classes on genital piercings here. And the way they're listed in the program is male genital piercing and female genital piercing. And I think that some piercers, rightly so, would kind of say, well, maybe that can not fully represent clientele or just the, the people that are interested in body piercings or performing body piercings. And you have kind of a, a nice way of talking about that terminology. So why don't you kind of share a little bit of that? Right. Well, I did actually talk to the organizer about the titles of the classes because the discussion had been, so what do you want to teach this year? And I said, oh, how about the usual? And he said, okay, and then put up those uh, those titles. And I spoke to him and I said, well, we're trying to be more inclusive. And he said, well, I think it's fine how it is. But when it came to my classes themselves, one of them was titled Piercings of the Vulva, uh, Safe and Successful Vulva Piercings, and the other was Safe and Successful Piercings of the Penis, Scrotum, and Perineum. Uh, that one's a little less uh, uh, tidy and can't be packed into a single term like vulva can, but uh, I do want to be inclusive. So I offer a disclaimer uh, uh, when I do those classes, and what I say is that I completely respect uh, all individual gender identities and uh, preferences, that it's no commentary on that, but during the courses, in order to distinguish certain things, I do sometimes use the terms male and female, and when I'm doing so, I'm referring to them in the biological sense of XX and XY chromosome divisions and their common anatomical characteristics. Yeah. So it's really science. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, there does need to be a distinction for certain purposes of clarity but uh, yeah so that is the way I put it and during class and it, it is still relatively new to me to change over the language so you know I try to refer to uh, clients in a neutral way and use the term client or PRC mm -hmm. uh, rather than assigning them a gender identity for them uh, and uh, use the term vulva which which does nicely for covering that area or whatever other uh, anatomical term for the, the parts on the other, on the XY axis. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I find myself stumbling over terminology uh, and, you know, okay, so, someone from certain generations, you know, I was born in 1979. So, you know, when I was raised in the 80s and raised in the 90s, there were just certain words that were part of, you know, how you would say things. Uh, and now, when I have a wider perspective and I, I just I understand a little bit more about different identities, I, I have to do my best to, to be inclusive, especially in the classes that I'm teaching. And I, I usually try to say that too, especially when I get to a point where we're talking about nipple piercings, genital piercings. You know, with nipple piercings especially, it's kind of difficult to have a class and use all gender neutral terminology just because of different structures of anatomy. Uh, but I always like to say like, I'm trying my best to use the best, most correct terminology, but sometimes I'm going to stumble because, you know, 40 years of experience of just, you think one way and you just say, oh yeah, a male nipple is going to be smaller than a female nipple. You just kind of think in those terms, but right. you do have to kind of soften it up and be like, I'm going to try to, to do my best to, to think in a little bit more of an evolved sense. And I think attendees really just appreciate the fact that you're trying and that you're not oblivious to it. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yes, we can try and do our best, but sometimes the division is required. For example, when it comes to nipples, uh, if you're talking about gynecomastia, uh, that is something that you need to discuss the gender. That's something that affects males. When males have enlarged breasts, that is a medical condition, whereas when females have enlarged breasts, that is a normal condition. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the biology is, is necessary for distinction. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but other than that, uh, trying, that's, that's fair. Sure, yeah. Uh, my, my nipple class that I've been doing over the last few months too, I, I'm trying to include a lot of information about hormone replacement therapy and different like top surgeries, things like that, because I think there's, there's this whole generation of, of clientele uh, that maybe aren't going to be serviced so well. If they go into a piercing shop that doesn't really think outside of male-female terms, uh, and then they encounter someone who has uh, an HRT augmented nipple, or if they've had a surgery in the area, they might not know, okay, I should think about this concern, or this might be more difficult for them to heal, or I should wait X amount of time, or, or all these different things, you know, and I'm really trying to drive that information out into the, the public space right now. Super, yeah, yeah. it's needed, because it's quite prevalent. There's a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on with that. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so your, your book is one of the, the main one of the main things that I would try to steer any aspiring piercer or even just like piercing fan to, to read, and I've actually got uh, someone new that, that just kind of came on as, as counter staff, and I've been giving him homework, basically, you know, and I, right now he's reading Jim's book, and next he's going to be reading your book. Uh, what's it like having, having a document out there that impacts so many people's lives and careers? Well... To some extent, I don't exactly take it personally in that just somebody needed to write a book mm -hmm. and there wasn't one. And I'd been writing the magazine articles and the point articles and um, the brochures and it just kind of fell to me. So um, it, it almost doesn't really feel that personal. I mean, I, I realize I'm the person that wrote it, mm -hmm. but it, it's really kind of bigger than that to me. Um, just that information needed to be shared and I s somehow managed to pull it together to the best of my ability to do that. And I have some news. Mm -hmm. um, we'll see what happens, but my publisher has allowed me to make corrections to the book for the first time in 10 years. It came out 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And initially they said that it would just be s uh, some corrections. And they gave me a very short timeline to work on it, like 10 days to cover over 300 pages of my book. And I had been writing notes since the book came out, but if they weren't gonna actually do the updates, I didn't write them mm -hmm. out in advance. So they uh, are not allowing me to affect the page flow of the book, which means that in order to add something, I have to take something out. Okay. And uh, so it has to fit in the same paragraph structure okay. of, of what's already in there. So it was not only an editing job, but a puzzle. And um, I submitted tons of changes, and I do not yet know whether they're making all those changes. So mm -hmm. if they do not make all the changes, I will not be announcing an updated book, because if I can't make the changes, then it, I'd rather just have it be a historical document. Sure. Which at this point, it, in, in many ways it is. It's a very young and fast-growing industry, even still, and so many things have changed since I wrote it, and uh, if they don't let me put all those changes in, I, I'm not even going to say that that happened, mm. you know, that it was updated. So I'm left wondering at this point. I uh, have a message into them to say, hey, 
are you accepting all of my edits? Will they be included? And uh, I don't know that yet. So I'm kind of in a little bit of limbo and uh, not sure whether I'll be uh, horrified that I even mentioned this. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least the story's out, you know, what happened. It, and the thing is, when you have a publisher, it's really out of your hands. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to self-publish this in terms of the control factor, but in terms of legitimacy factor, which I think the book really needed, it's great that it has, you know, sure. a mainstream publisher. And having it just be ubiquitous, you can get it essentially anywhere. Yeah, it's, you know, Penguin Random House, like the world's largest publisher. Yeah. Not that they did anything for me in terms of anything, but other than, you know, print the book. But um, anyway, so, so yeah, I'm um, thrilled that there's uh, hope for an updated book. And I... Um, I, I I always feel kind of amazed, you know, when people say how much it's influenced them or how much they learned from it. Or uh, one of the main things that really strikes me is when people say, you know, I had an apprenticeship and then I read your book and realized I didn't learn to pierce mm -hmm. and I stopped until I got uh, better training. And wow. that 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 really feels like a win when I hear that. And I've yeah. heard it uh, yeah. plenty of times. Yeah. So if if uh, they don't publish maybe like a second version of it with uh, all your edits. Could you ever see yourself writing a second book, maybe like the New Testament? Well, you know, that might involve needing to seek another publisher mm -hmm. and whatnot. I, truthfully, I do not think of myself as a writer. I feel like a piercer who manages to write. Mm -hmm. uh, I find it terribly painful and torturous and difficult, and I do not enjoy it at all. So it's not something I would do for fun. Yeah. But you know, neither was the first book. So yeah, I guess it's possible that if they really won't do a, a, the updated version, that I might consider. But I, I'd like to see somebody else, you know, get their name out there. Somebody with information to share and. Mm accurate information to share like I, I don't feel like it has to be about me and I don't feel like I have to be the one to do it but I do think somebody should be doing sure. it. Sure. Well you know not for nothing you know you're a fairly experienced body piercer so I, I think having someone with your experience I mean I, I, I don't even know who I would think of who's probably done more genital work than you? Or? No, there, yeah, I don't think there is. But I, yeah. I don't know that, you, you know, you have to have done more than me, but, yeah. you know, you'd Different have to... Different perspectives, I'm sure, Absolutely. are good. But still, I mean, when someone has that much information, right. you know, you don't want to miss out on... Right. And I would be it, open yeah. to a collaboration if somebody wants to write the other parts hmm. or what have you. Like, I, you know, I'm open. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I know that um, Jeff Saunders has an awesome blog and is a good writer, yeah. and I would encourage him to, to write more about the yeah. subject. And really, any anybody else you know out there who's doing any writing, like we have a really limited body of literature on the subject because there are so few people writing anything yeah. about it. Yeah, and I think a lot of times when people do write about it, they're not... They're not doing a lot of the footnote work, you know. They're not really checking references, re you know, referring to science, checking studies, things like that. I've I've fallen into that trap plenty of times in my career, where I'm just kind of speaking from my preference or my personal experience, but I'm not really backing it up with a lot of science. And I'm trying to avoid those things. Like even in classes, somebody asks a question, what I used to just say is like, "Well, this is what I think would be the answer to that." And now I try to say. I don't have enough experience with that subject to answer that question thoroughly, you know, but I could maybe research it for you. Um, but yeah, you know, sharing information is, is uh, you know, I think it's a big part of, of what we do as body piercers. It's not just about servicing the clientele. It's also about sharing information with other piercers to, to give them the tools they need to service their clients. Absolutely. And I'm grateful to Jim Ward for the precedent that, um, you know, tattoo 
world has tended to be pretty secretive and not sharing much. And so Jim, right from the beginning, was all about sharing. He published the um, PFIQ magazines and put out Pierce with a Pro videos and was all about sharing. And so I come from that tradition of of sharing information. Mm -hmm. uh, never had people say, you know, oh, I can't believe you'd share all your trade secrets. Like I don't have any trade secrets. So the information is is definitely best shared. So. Sure, sure. Uh, so. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about is cheek piercings, actually. Uh, I, don't, I personally don't perform cheek piercings anymore, and part of the reason why is some of the stories I've heard you say about your own experience, and uh, the last few months I've been doing an anatomy course on the road, and I don't want to tell other people that cheek piercings can't be safe because, you know, we've seen healthy, healed cheek piercings, but I, what I really just try to say is, these are, the, these, these are all the things that you're facing for adversity. This is what's in there. And if you don't hit that, it's almost luck that you don't hit that, you know? And a lot of people, they, they come back with like, well, I've done a few or I have some and no problem at all. Like, what's the worst that could happen? And I, I think your story is kind of in that category of like one of the worst things that could happen. So could you share that story? Yeah, you bet. So, and I would absolutely say that it's the worst thing that ever happened to anybody that I pierced. And in that sense, I guess I'm glad that it happened to me and not a paying client. Uh, I pierced my own cheeks uh, in my natural dimples. It wasn't like there was some other place where they could go. It was very obvious placement. And uh, I did not see or palpate any structures in there and the piercings went fine and the healing went fine. And I thought everything was fine until about a year and a half after the piercing, uh, the right cheek started to leak fluid and it was not saliva from inside my mouth. It was definitely not viscous and kind of lighter than saliva and uh, it turned out to be fluid from my parotid duct, which is one of the contributing factors into saliva within the mouth. And I, thought I'll try different jewelry, I'll try different detergent, I'll try, di you know, and I was so resistant to taking them out. Um, I was gonna beat this thing and I went to the dentist and I went to a dermatologist and I did everything I could, but it, the leak kept getting worse and worse and I would blot it on my sleeve and end up with this big wet spot on my shoulder and my face was chapped from liquid dripping down and it was not cute. And uh, one day I was piercing a navel and some parotid fluid fell from my face onto my client near the pierced area. I had not yet done the piercing and I was mortified. And that was the moment I thought, I'm beaten, this, can't, this cannot go on. Sure. And I had to have it cauterized shut. Uh, that would be burned to scar to close the wound three times to Ooh. get it to stop leaking. And uh, it finally did. I do still have a fancy face. I take little flat back Swarovski crystals and a little uh, applicator with kind of a waxy tip and a dab of crazy glue. And so I, people still think they're pierced because I have gems on there, but they're just flat back Swarovski crystals that are glued on. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I've ever encountered anyone else, any people that have had it or talked about their clients that have had the same kind of issue, but I've seen so many just different shades of messy for, for issues with cheek piercings. And the, the main one that drove it home for me is I had a client who wore a lot of makeup and part of my consultation and part of my aftercare was, you can't, you can't wear your makeup like that while it's healing or even probably after the fact, you don't wanna put makeup right up to it because it's gonna get pulled in. 
Uh, and then, you know, time goes by, they came in for a downsize and there was makeup right on it, you know, and I was like, hey, just so you know, you're really rolling the dice doing this. And then I, I got a random message on Facebook, some panicked message on Sunday morning. And, uh, I'm out of town for a show and look at this picture. And it was just like, like there was a tennis ball oh. in the person's cheek, you know, and it was weeping, disgusting fluid and all, all this stuff, you know, and in an area where I was not at. So I had to refer them to a studio and that, that studio pulled the, their heel jewelry and put in a crazy long bar and said all this like, you know, brownish fluid, all, all this stuff, you know, and that was the one where it was like, never again, I'm not gonna, you know, I, I don't think I'd ever done a set of cheeks that healed easily for somebody. I did cheeks that healed, sure, but you know, not, not as easy as like a lip piercing would heal. Right. Uh, so I just kind of decided like, this isn't a piercing where people are asking me to do it 10 times a day. This is a piercing where maybe I'll get asked to do it once or twice a year. So it's not like it's a, a huge part of my income. And it's not like I have to say, you should never ever get your cheek pierced. But I, I think it's totally within my right to say, I don't feel comfortable offering it. And my studio doesn't feel comfortable, you know, taking that kind of liability. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things. But every time I, every time that, that section comes up in my anatomy class or in like a lip class or something, like I, I put right in there, we're not covering cheek piercings. I don't consider cheeks to be in the same sphere as a lip piercing. Uh, people always are just like, yeah, but you know, what could go wrong? How bad could it be? And it's like, well, you know, study the anatomy and realize how much stuff is going on in there. Right. If it rests within the nasolabial fold, at the, between the edge of the nose and the corner of the mouth, mm -hmm. that close in is... Uh, pretty much way safer. Sure. Um, but yeah, they tend to be quite problematic in any number of ways. So mm. uh, I've seen plenty of problems. But it was after that I took mine out where uh, a whole bunch of different people said, oh yeah, I had that same problem with mm. my cheek leaking. I'm like, I wish I'd heard about that. Yeah, I yeah. definitely wouldn't have done Might have been one of those things where they didn't want to feel like the, the test case or the, you know, the person that people would reference when they're telling a bad story or something. And then when you say like, even me, a very well-known, well-respected, well-skilled piercer had this issue, right. then they can kind of come out of the woodwork and be like, yeah, you know, I, I had that issue too. Exactly, that's yeah. exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So for someone who's been piercing for such a long period of time, uh, what are some of the other things that have maybe come and gone uh, in, your, in your tenure? Like were there, like in the, the kind of uh, sort of Wild West sort of times, late 80s through the 90s, like leading into that like BME kind of time where people were just like throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticked. What were some of your like maybe the memorable things that came out of that in a positive way or maybe some memorable things that came out of it in a negative? Um, so yeah, we did all kinds of things and the truth was it was just before we really knew what worked well and what didn't and the way to find out was having clients ask for something and saying, oh, well, we never have done one there, but if you want to try. And so it was very wild west and uh, there was always honesty about, you know, well, we've done one nearby here, but not in that spot, you know, no no BS about a level of experience. If we hadn't done it, we'd say. And we we tried a bunch of stuff. Um, so <laughs> I did a forehead piercing very high up near mm -hmm. the hairline on a, an employee. And we decided that flexible jewelry sounded like a better idea than metal jewelry. So we took actual weed eater line, like from the garden, and I took a jewelry file and filed the seam off of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's see, I used some beads that actually slid onto the uh, 
plastic, and then I used a lighter to burn the end of the plastic, kind of burn the the plastic so that the beads stuck to it. So I made this little barbell mm -hmm. out of uh, weed eater line and kind of hematite beads with a large opening. And damned if that thing didn't heal just fine. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow. Uh, it, that didn't mean I went ahead and did a whole bunch sure. of those. But uh, so just by way of saying, yeah, we did we did all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I did some axillary piercings at the front and rear of um, Earl uh, of... Uh, Midbrow fame mm -hmm. uh, on his uh, uh, underarms, front and back, four piercings. I did, um, oh my gosh, the things we did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we we tried sur surface piercings. I was using mostly Tigon um, flexible tubing not and not the weed eater line once we found the tubing and found that balls could screw into it, the um, uh, internally threaded uh, so basically it kind of self-threads mm -hmm. the tubing and we did a fair bit of that. I, oh, this was interesting. I had a client who had lost an eye and it was stitched shut and she decided that she wanted to make a chain eye patch and so we did a piercing kind of beneath her brow. So the whole area was scarred weird and I did this piercing like a, an inch long piercing beneath her brow uh, with the plan that she was going to hang some chain over it. Uh, really weird looking cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do awesome. believe that healed that healed somehow. So a really long channel. So so yeah, we we were doing all kinds of stuff. Um, and that was before surface bars existed. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no such thing. Unless people were somehow making them themselves or something. But e yeah, yeah. I, I had never seen one right. back then. And the one spot I found that routinely would heal well was the nape, the sur surface of the neck. Mm -hmm. Those seemed to do really well no matter what kind of junk we were putting in there. Yeah. Um, and most of the other spots did not. So that was kind of my early experience with surface piercings. And then I kind of gave it up after that for the most part. It's like, yeah, this doesn't work so great. And the nape was the one that I, I would stick with. But obviously, uh, others have gone on to do really amazing work with it, which is fantastic to see. Yeah, I mean, jewelry advances can make some stuff a, a lot easier. But I do kind of miss those days where experimentation was a big part of being a body piercer. Now, I think, you know, probably rightly so, I think a lot of piercers are kind of defaulting to the things that are a little bit more time-tested and all that. And But I, I completely remember... I totally did the weed whacker cord thing too, and uh, Tigon and like giant. I was I was talking to somebody about it the other day. I did these one inch long curved barbell surface piercings, like on the crest of my sternum, and then I stretched them out to eight gauge curved barbells, and they healed. And I had them for like two years, and then they just got torn in an accident or something, you know. Oh. So stuff like that. And back when people would ask for like the the vampire bite surface piercing on the side of the neck and all that crazy stuff, you know. So. I do, I do kind of miss it. You know, people play it really safe now, and I think it's probably for the better. Uh, but I, yeah, I'm always gonna miss those days where it was just like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's try it. Yeah, that's so funny. I forgot I had a vampire bite um, piercing I, that I did with a really long bar, and I didn't take good care of it with the intention of making it scar to look like a vampire mm. bite. No, I wasn't trying to heal it as a piercing, but it didn't even scar very well. So uh, even that didn't work out so, so much as planned. But yeah, um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't miss the experimentation. I enjoy looking back on it as fond memories, but it's kind of nice to know that pretty much all the piercings I do are going to heal well and yeah, that, yeah. you know, that, that's a kind of given. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you, you do really like a, a high-end specialty service at this point. I'm sure you're not going to want to take take chances on something. Yeah. 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 No, I, 
I think uh, in general, I've, I'm not by nature very much of a chance taker. It was just kind of the nature of the the industry and the experience at the time, but and and it was fun. Um, so eyebrows. Um, I, my first eyebrow piercing was on film. There's this amazing '80s show, and I'm wearing these big padded shoulders, and I have a bunch of hair, this curly black mohawk, and I did this eyebrow piercing, and they filmed it for the show, and I said in all honesty when I was done with it and the jewelry was in, it was a ring, we didn't have curved bars as an inventory item at the time, and I said, you are a wild man, and I totally meant it, like, that that was when an eyebrow piercing was unheard of, that was the first one I had yeah. done. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I, you know, I, I miss I miss the the style sometimes with with 80s and 90s style piercing. I don't even really know how to like fully describe it. I don't know if you kind of get the the mood off of it, you know, but you like you would see those people and it's like that was that whole that's where the modern primitive kind of aesthetic came from, you know, and refined and refined and refined to something that you would see really clearly at a place like BMX Net. Like you can really see the evolution of that over Absolutely. 20 or 30 years. Uh, but yeah, I remember seeing that stuff when I was like a, a younger teen and just being like, that's amazing. That um, That's amazing that someone would have the bravery to modify themselves in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> so any information you would want to maybe share to like newer piercers? Uh, newer piercers. Yes. I want to tell you to please care. <laughs> um, when I see the piercing problem consultations and I see the crazy poor placements that are going on, it occurs to me that these are piercers who do not care. Because mm. if they cared, they could not do such bad work. And I'm talking about things like VCH piercings that are surface piercings. They don't go under the hood tissue. I had one today. Uh, the, I said, can you tell me what piercing you had asked for when you came out with this? And it was just below her clitoral glands, like at the upper inner labia juncture. Like it, it, through a little tiny bit of tissue with this really long bar and this piercer had to know I don't know what I'm doing and thought I'm gonna do it anyway sure and that's somebody who doesn't care mm -hmm. so uh, if you're gonna be a piercer please care care about your clients care about your professional reputation care about whether the piercing will heal um, if you're if you're just in it for the money please go find something else to do for the money like leave piercing for those of us who do care mm -hmm. who feel passionate about it um, and, um, yeah, I think that's just kind of like the, the core thing that I think when I see these horrible pictures and see the terrible pain, accidental clitoris piercings, I see it all the time. Yeah. Those are piercers who just don't care. Mm -hmm. And that makes me really sad. Yeah. So, um, have a care, care. Yeah. I mean, that's perfect advice. Uh, so if people want to find your book, where would you want them to find it? Well, a good place would be on piercingbible.com because if you order through my site, uh, you will get a book that I have signed. Ooh, that's a nice promise. Uh, but it's it's widely available wherever books are sold. Um, it's also available as an ebook, and um, there's uh, yeah, so a link on uh, the piercing bible site is a good place to go. Okay, great. Uh, any social media info you'd want people to have? Uh, yeah, because I pierce nipples and genitals and nothing else, I don't get to post photos of my work on my social media, but you can see cool pictures of my cat and my house and stuff like that. So I do have an Instagram. Uh, I think it's my name, Elaine Angel. Okay. <laughs> I think, uh, I'm sure you're easy to find online yeah, at this point. Yeah, it's Elaine with a Y, E-L-A-Y-N-E-A-N-G-E-L. So, uh, yeah, some variation of that. And, um, 
Yeah, the other thing I want people to know is that I very happily share information. So if you are a piercer with a piercing question, uh, you are welcome to email me through the form on my site. And uh, I answer everybody. If you put your email in correctly, you will get a reply. That's great. That's, that's, that's just a really awesome service that you would do that because I, I think it would be really easy for someone to just kind of like, you know, make some money off of their name and their experience and not really give a lot back. And it's really nice to see that you still care after, after you know, so long piercing. Thank you. I do care. I want everyone to care. That is, that is the watchword of the day. So, and thank you for noticing. I appreciate that. Well, thanks for coming on again. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's so super fun. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks again, Elaine, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And for any of you piercers out there, go and check out piercingbible.com. Ton of information. Pick up Elaine's book. You know, you can you can learn a lot from just paying attention to piercers and their experience. Thanks again to William Barron for stepping up at the UK APP conference and covering for me. I really do appreciate that. Uh, Barron has always been one of those piercers who's just always willing to help. And it's not from... Uh, trying to, uh, to gain something for himself. It's really just trying to share something for the overall industry that he loves and, and that we love. So again, Baron, thank you very, very much for, uh, for helping out at the UK APP conference. Very sorry again to, to everyone who was there. I'm sorry I couldn't make it, but uh, you know I had a family emergency, so I had to stay home. For any of those people that are interested in the Atlanta class, November 18th and 19th, Follow Body Art Education by Ryan Willette on Facebook or email me at ryanpba at gmail.com. Uh, if you haven't already listened to last week's episode, episode 130, The Case of Dr. Evil, it's a really important legal case from the UK that can have far-reaching effects. So give it a listen if you haven't already heard. Uh, it's with Dr. Matt Lauder and Nick Pinch, and it really goes deep on a very important issue. So that's definitely one that I would suggest to anyone interested in body piercing, especially if you're performing uh, body modification procedures, you know, something that's a little bit outside of the realm of, of just body piercing. So I'll be back next week with another interview for you. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.